welcome to the Urgent Care Leadership Podcast. I'm Llewellyn Horwitz. For the past couple of years, the Urgent Care Leadership Podcast has featured individual leaders that have been shaping our industry, and it's been great. But for 2024, we've shifted our focus. As Urgent Care has become a major player in the delivery of healthcare, we've recognized the need to ensure that we are always included in national, state, and local planning that affects us, and that means advocacy. So we're going to spend some time on the podcast exploring how that's done. I'm really glad you're here, so let's get into it. In this episode, I get to talk with Eric Zimmerman, who leads our team of lobbyists at McDermott Plus. Eric is a recognized Medicare law and policy authority and helps clients like UCA navigate federal, legislative, and regulatory processes. He represents some of the country's largest and most renowned health service providers, product manufacturers, and trade associations before Congress, HHS, CMS, and other federal agencies. He has all sorts of recognitions as being a top lawyer, lobbyist, and D.C. power player, but his urgent care credentials are significant as well. He was involved in the industry early on, advising on M&A deals, and is well-versed in what makes urgent care great and what our challenges are. So we are happy to have such a perfect match for the leader of our federal advocacy team. Eric, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining me today, and welcome to the podcast. It is my great pleasure to be here and to be working with UCA Llewellyn. You know, in our last episode with Selena Gurley, who's our advocacy chair, we did kind of a catch up on where we were with our advocacy strategy and how we got there. So if any of you missed that and want that detail, you should pop back in, into that episode. UCA also has a page on our website that has all of those details and history as well. Um, so you can click on advocacy at the Urgent Care Association website and read those latest updates We all know that our overall goal is improving how urgent cares are are paid. We've looked at a lot of different ways to go down that road and have determined our best approach to ensure that really long-term success of urgent care, which is one of the whole reasons that UCA exists, is at the federal level and starting with CMS. We've had some good conversations with CMS ourselves, but to really get CMS to make urgent care a priority, their bosses are going to have to get involved, and that is Congress. We ended our last episode with Selena just before our lobby day in November, um, that would be 2023, and when we held meetings during that lobby day with about 40 congressional offices, we were seeking support for our letter to CMS to encourage them to make urgent care a priority. So first, I want to talk a little bit about that letter and what it says and, and why we're framing all of this strategy in this way. Yes, I, and I love Llewellyn the way you put it about getting their bosses involved because that's exactly what's motivating this strategy. Um, and I think your your listeners know, but it bears repeating that when we undertook this, we all agreed that we would first have some dialogue with CMS, and we did that, and we had very constructive meetings with positive feedback, and I think good reception. Um, more so in some quarters than others. And we also realized that as much as they may like this, you know, they're like all of us. They have lots of things on their desk, lots of urgencies, lots of priorities that are coming down from the leadership within CMS. Um, they have strategic plans and and uh, plenty to do throughout the day. Um, so they're not in the business necessarily of saying, oh, that's a good idea. I'll I'll run with that on my own and, that. and run it up the chain, um, particularly when you're talking about something as substantial and transformative as what we're talking about. 
So in many ways, we regarded those early meetings as a, as a courtesy, as well as a check the box. Um, we want to both give them a heads up that this is something uh, that we are going to be working on and that they're going to be hearing about it. And I guess if you say, you know, give them a right of first refusal, an opportunity to do something with it, recognizing that they probably won't. But also, um, when I say check the box, we need to be able to tell when we start having the conversations with Congress, which we've done, the first question we expect to get asked is, well, what does CMS say about this? So we have to be able to answer that. So we did those meetings back in the fall. Um, they went very well, but again, moved into phase two of the um, strategy, which to your point is getting their bosses to weigh in and say, oh, by the way, this is a really good idea and you should make it a priority. And when CMS, um, and I'm talking now about specifically the political leadership layer at CMS, the people who are appointed by President Biden or any new president when they come in, when they get a letter or an inbound inquiry from Congress, they are need, they're going to need to respond at the very least, um, like this is a great idea and we'll look into it, or um, thank you very much for your letter, we'll take it under consideration, something like that. Um, but um, they will be responsive, and the more of that inbound that we can get um, from Congress and other um, pressure points, the more it's likely to rise up. And, and hopefully, this is the goal, is for it to be embraced as a priority for the agency. And so now, this is a very long-winded way, Llewellyn, of telling you what's in the letter and, and why the, we are very hopeful that this letter is going to be impactful. I'll say two things about the letter. Um, or yeah, I'll, I'll start with two things about the letter. The first is it speaks very positively about urgent care and the role that urgent care can play in creating a more efficient and effective healthcare system, particularly by offloading pressure from EDs that handle lots of inappropriate care, because that's the only place that um, patients uh, often can go. But the even best part is it gives CMS a very specific um, action item or roadmap on what it is that they should do. And they specifically uh, press on CMS to deal with this in a specific forthcoming rulemaking that we can talk about in, in a little bit. Um, but it's a very, um, I think, clear, powerful letter. The authors are embracing urgent care as a, uh, as a concept that they want to see play a more prominent role in our healthcare system writ large. So we're really, um, we're really excited about it. So we we got the letter put together. We all, a group of us, went to Washington and and took this letter around and socialized it. Can you speak to you know from the your team's observation because we you know we had McDermott staff um, with us throughout those visits helping facilitate those. What was their take on how the letter was received during those initial visits in November? Well, their take was hugely positive, and I'm going to tell you uh, in a very specific way how it was. So first, let me explain. This is a little inside baseball, but I think it's important to understand for your listeners to understand the process here a little bit. Um, in advance of Lobby Day, we did a little bit of, or a lot, of um, spade work trying to get a single member of Congress interested in the objectives that we are pursuing. 
And we did that. And that is a Congresswoman Custer, a Democrat from New Hampshire. And then we spent time working with her on coming up with a letter um, that we had a lot of input into, but is her letter. And when you say we were able to walk around with a letter, I want to be clear that we walked around with her draft letter. And we and we um, shared that with members of Congress and and some of the talking points we had were was Congresswoman Custer is championing this letter and she's looking for co-leads. And by co-leads, you know, we strategically like to make things bipartisan if we can. As I said, she's a Democrat, so we were looking for a Republican. And this is just a great success story from your lobby day. Um we actually turned up a Republican member, and not just any Republican member, but a very prominent voice in healthcare, um, Dr. Mike Burgess from Texas, who is a Republican on a key committee that really helps. Um, he was very interested, and so he signed on. And then we had a Republican and a Democrat, which was great. Um, so. The and and we had, as you said, uh, roughly forty other meetings. The reception was very good. Um, we are now in the process of trying to get as many of those forty members and more signed on to the letter, and we're already in short time having some success with some offices saying yes. So that's uh, I think we're really off to a great start. So now that we've we got the letter. We got our two initial sponsors and shout out to the group who visited with uh, uh, Burgess's office um, when we were there. What What is a little bit around the the process of what happens now to get either, you know, those offices that we already visited with or, you know, additional key key folks to, to sign? First of all, I, I told the great success story of Dr. Burgess, um, but it goes beyond that. We have now two Republicans and two Democrats who have agreed to lead, lead this letter. Um, so, And they are two members of the House Ways and Means Committee and two members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. And I'm saying that, Llewellyn, because those are the committees, the only two committees in the House that have jurisdiction over the Medicare program. And when the folks at CMS, coming back to the strategy I was talking about a minute ago, when the folks at CMS get a letter, they're going to pay attention to who signed it. So let's say, for example, um, we've got a Democratic administration right now. If they got a letter from a backbencher Republican, that letter is probably going to get the thank you very much uh, for your letter. Uh, we'll take it under advisement. Wait, what does backbencher mean? Oh, um, so, you know, somebody who's like a freshman member, not on a committee of jurisdiction, Got it. maybe out on the fringes of seniority in Congress, okay. the more senior a member or the more, the closer those, those, uh, members of Congress are to the committees that actually control the budgets of CMS, the policy of CMS, they take those things much more seriously if they know that they don't give the right response, say, to uh, prominent members on the Demo on the um, Energy and Commerce and Ways and Means Committee. Well, then they might just make them do it, right? They might change the law and and, and push them to do it. And when they see that it's bipartisan, then they know the odds that they can actually make something happen are really good. And you know, CMS often, not always, but often, if they're going to 
find a policy changing, they would probably prefer to change it themselves and define it rather than have Congress do it for them. So they're going to take um, they're going to take notice of the fact that there's two Republicans and two Democrats on key committees. And if we're lucky enough and we get a lot of members to sign on, which is now what we're working on, um, and by a lot, I would say, like, if we could get 20, that would be a really potent letter coming in. We're going for 30 okay. internally, just so you know. Okay, setting high <laughs> expectations for us. Uh, Why not? Well, I'm trying to manage expectations. Um, <laughs> if we could get 20 it's a good or tension. 30, yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. Um, then that is going to be um, really notable to them. And also, let's, let me just on just two yeah. more seconds to take it like even further down the road. So CMS hopefully is going to take notice. Hopefully CMS is going to do something with it. Probably they won't. And probably we're going to need either more inbound like this, or ultimately we may need to legislate on it. And the value proposition of a letter like this is multifold, but I'm going to say two things in particular. One is if ultimately we don't get where we want with CMS, well, we're going back to these two Democrats and these two Republicans, and they're very likely to become champions of legislation. And if we have, say, 20 or 30 people who are signed on to the letter, they're likely to become co-sponsors. And then all of a sudden, then you're signaling to the chairs of those committees, you're signaling to the Speaker of the House that, oh, this is there's a groundswell behind this year. There's um, some real support for it. And that puts us in a much stronger position. And look, we're talking a lot about the House right here. We um, started with the uh, well, we well, you know, the lobby day we had meetings with the House and the and the Senate. Um, we happen to have made more progress more quickly in the House, but we're going to be pivoting to the Senate as a next step. Yeah, as we're trying to get these folks to to sign on, um, can you talk a little bit about the what we're what you all are calling the grass tops as opposed to grassroots strategy of how we're trying to get those signatures over the over the finish line? Because this is member involvement, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. So, look, we're, I think we're pretty good at what we do in Washington, but we are much, you know, we're four people right now on this team. And we need, we can be much stronger if, you know, we become a, a hundred people in uh, the Urgent Care Center Association um, or, um, you know, how, take that number, make it whatever you think you can, a number of people you can get involved. If we can get um, constituents to be engaging with these members of Congress and saying, um, I live in your community, I'm a voter in your community, this is a business that we're running in your community, and get them to be weighing in, that's much better than us saying we represent the Urgent Care Association. So we are working with you and we're working with your members. And from a grass tops perspective that's really trying to work with business leaders in communities that might be leaders of multi-center organizations or leaders at health systems large enterprises versus what's also very helpful and i know we're going to get to is more of a grassroots which is let's cast a really wide net and let's get a thousand people to be weighing in that was one of the things that really struck me um, during our lobby day training as well as during the visits of how how critical that that voice of the constituent is in that conversation, even if we're speaking to a national issue, that was fascinating. So really um, 
want to give it. It gives us so much more credibility yeah. and enables us to have much better conversations when they know this ask is not just coming from a lobbyist or not just coming from a trade association, but it's coming from a voter in their yeah. community. Yeah, it was it was fascinating to see. Um and really appreciate, you know, so many of the members that are taking their time out to either, you know, get trained to have this meeting because um, we do some prep on that. If if you weren't in the lobby day, and also just to take the time out to be in those meetings to help us, to help us really get this. Because we'll talk about this in a minute, but everybody's in a hurry. You know, the faster we can do this, the better for all of urgent care and and for patients. And so I think having that that extra effort just helps keep that flywheel moving and turning and gaining momentum, the more pushes on it that we yeah. can get. So let, let's let back, I don't know, let's lift up a little bit and talk about the strategy again. Um, now that we kind of have caught up with the timeline, why is this route, you call it through CMS or beginning with CMS, the strategy that we've settled on, particularly when CMS, you know, Medicare, Medicaid is not the major payer for most of our, most of our members, it's commercial payers. So can you speak a little bit to this approach yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it we certainly get that Medicare um, as a uh, payer in, in most urgent care payer mix is um, a small percentage. And if we're successful, as we hope we will be, you know, is that really going to make much of a dent? Though it is growing, we've seen. Yes. Well, there's that. Um, and what we would say is um, there's really two reasons why we very often, particularly in instances like this, we'll, we'll say, let's start with Medicare. Um, one is that many commercial payers around the country will follow Medicare policy. And if we can establish a sound policy that Medicare embraces and endorses, then it just gives it a lot more credibility and uh, enables us to then try to flip more private payers. But the other reason is it's a single entity to which we can target energy that is responsive to congressional pressure or uh, for sure legislation if we ultimately go in that route. We don't have those kinds of levers with, say, a Blue Cross plan or United Healthcare. But if we can flip Medicare, so to speak, it uh, becomes easier than to uh, pursue one-offs with with commercial payers and try to get them to follow suit. All right, let's talk about this this sort of ever-present timeline question for the impatient uh, folks in urgent care because that's part of who we are. Um, I want people to get a sense of pacing because we've we've made some what feels like quick and exciting progress um, and how quickly or slowly things might happen. What is the timeline at this point for when we're hoping CMS will take some kind of action? Well, we have made, I'll start by saying we have made really good progress. And I think that's indicative of the power of the issue and um, the value proposition that policymakers see in urgent care and the role that urgent care can play. And also, by the way, the problem that I think is widely understood and accepted that we as a country have with hospital emergency departments right now. So we've got a lot in our favor. And that has um, translated into positive responses, which have enabled us to get a letter like the one we're talking about here, have, you know, the bicam uh, excuse me, bipartisan and dual committee support that we've been talking about. And I hope also, you know, many members of Congress 
30 or more members of Congress signing on to a, a letter like this. But And I will say in the letter, there's the timeline that these members of Congress are setting, and that is a forthcoming rule. I mentioned this before. It's the Medicare physician fee schedule rule. And this is getting a little into the weeds, so I'll try to be quick. But every year on an annual regular cycle, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services updates the Medicare physician fee schedule. So that that is the payment um, schedule and all the attendant rules that go along with paying for professional services. And they update that um, in a couple ways. They update the payments. They just recalibrate payments all the time, but they update the policies and, and that go along with it. And it's usually a very thick federal register notice with lot, and it goes through a proposed rulemaking and a final rulemaking. And it's a very suitable vehicle for what we're trying to do. So the authors of this letter, if anybody were to pick up the letter, what they would see is that um, the authors are calling on CMS to explore policy options in the FY 2025 physician fee schedule rule. So that's next year's physician fee schedule rule. And I wanna just expound a minute when it says explore policy options. We're not really expecting CMS to propose, um, especially based on this letter, uh, policy changes that would go into effect in 2025. What would be a great success is if they did something like called a um, request for information or RFI, where they said, "I'm sure that's more exciting than it sounds." <laughs> it's it's a step. It's a very key step in, uh, and we would certainly look at it as, "Wow, we are making really quick progress on this," even though it seems like um, it's a multi-year Never endeavor. Moves slow. Yeah, um, look, there's administrative processes that that mm-hmm. these big bureaucracies have to go through, and. Notice and comment rulemaking is one of those processes. And so I think what would be really great is if they did something called request for information where they basically say, people are telling us that urgent care centers are wonderful. Why don't you tell us what you think? And they're opening it up to the community to basically tell them why urgent care centers are wonderful and the roles that urgent care centers would play. And we would design a whole strategy around making sure that the right kinds of comments are going into CMS in response to that. And then maybe the following year, we might actually see a policy change. And again, we would have a whole strategy in that next year that would have us working with CMS to potentially design a policy. That's if everything goes really, really well. But there's a lot of steps between now and then that we're going to be working on, including getting more inbound into CMS to get them to even tee this up in this rulemaking. I'll just say, I'll end on this. There is a prescribed timeline for the physician fee schedule. There's a proposed rule in July and a final rule that comes out in the beginning of November. And if so we are working furiously now to get something said in that July rulemaking. And here we are we're sitting here in January and it seems like July is a long way away, but they kind of put that thing to bed by April. So we don't have a ton ton of time to make an impact. So we're, we're working really furiously um, to get some impact in on that. When you were talking about the portion where we, you know, open it up for comment, um, can we talk a little bit about people, groups, et cetera, who might oppose 
anything that we would do for urgent care and the because I know there's been some work done in the past several months of sort of checking our strategy with some of those key stakeholders who might, you know, have their hackles raised a bit about having urgent care become a priority. Um, we don't necessarily need to name names, but if you can talk a little bit about that work that we've done, that would be great. Yeah. So one of the steps we included in our strategy is stakeholder management. Um, and that is both offense and defense. There are stakeholders out there who we think might be aligned and we want to get them aligned because we want this, again, we want multiple stakeholders weighing in with CMS and we want to make sure that they're rowing in the same, you know, we're harnessing as much uh, firepower as we can, but we also need to um, play defense. And what we don't want is to say, get members of Congress on a letter and have them hear from an aggrieved stakeholder who says, what, what are you doing? This is terrible. This is a terrible idea. You were snookered. And so we try to um, embrace those other stakeholders who we think might have some sensitivities to this, sit down with them. We've, we've done, th these are steps we've done already. We sit down with them. We explain what we're doing. We explain our policy. We hope we don't really expect to co-opt them, but we do hope that they will understand it a little bit better and and react maybe in a more measured way, or that we're starting a dialogue and they'll co coordinate with us a little bit. And you try to just tamp down opposition as much as you can. The worst kind of opposition comes when people see something and they don't really understand what it is and um, they react. And so we're trying to get ahead of that and make sure that um, they at least have the benefit of our narrative. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that because that's one of those things that nobody's ever going to see that really is a huge part of the work. Um, so I appreciate you running into that. So as I may have mentioned earlier, everyone in urgent care wants this to go as fast as possible because that's how urgent care people are made. <laughs> that's true. It's in your name. <laughs> well, yes, it is, isn't it? Um, you know, and it's partly because this is hopefully, ultimately, positively going to affect the business that is open every single day. And so what I also think about that you alluded to earlier, there are a lot of urgent care centers out there. And when you start to think about the power of those numbers, there are several things that start to come to mind that I just want to make sure that we talk about a little bit. The first is data. I think once our team and your team started really working on the concepts that we were going to put forward, part of building this letter is being able to back up what we're going to say. So it's not just opinion. There have to be studies. There has to be, you know, there has to be some there there when we're putting these claims out. And I'm sure that goes a long way in whether we're able to get support for it or not, um, or if it's just someone yelling in the wilderness. So as we have been doing that and looking for that data to to back that up, I think we, we've identified some gaps, most certainly of wouldn't it have been nice if we had done a study five years ago that said X, that we didn't. So we're going to be nice to our five years from now selves and try to do that work now. And so that's the first thing I can think of around really where urgent care as a, as a collective can be powerful is being willing to share your data. Because part of what we struggle with sometimes is getting that because, oh, it feels like secret sauce or we don't want to necessarily put that out there. And and I think a lot of the tactics that we've identified have made it clear that we need more of that. And it's only going to get more important as we begin to expand our efforts 
beyond CMS of really being able to make that case for for themselves. So I think that's one area where we have a lot of unleveraged power is really coming together and sharing data. The second is purely mercenary, which is really around, well, it's not actually, is around being a member of UCA because we are only able to speak about that we represent members. And so when we're going and talking about that, we can talk about the size of the industry, but when we're there with our trade association representative hat on, it is, and we represent X number of centers. And the bigger that number gets, the better we look and the better we are able to look like a big player because we are one, but not necessarily able to represent ourselves in that way. Um, But there's a lot of urgent care out there. And I would I think that would help us be stronger um, is being able to have more you know, more of those centers actually be members so that you, UCA can officially speak on their behalf. And then the last one is purely mercenary. As we go forward, we 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 don't want to just keep what we're do, doing what we're doing. We want to expand. We talked about earlier taking on the commercial payers is a huge diffused efforts and we effort and we want to be able to do that. And so when we do advocacy contribution drives. We would love for everybody to participate, even if it's just a small amount. We really, I think that the engagement piece is really one that that we can speak about in a way that's really powerful. So now that I've gotten my parting thoughts in there, um, Eric, as you, you know, look at this from your perspective compared to everything else that you do and, you know, the time that you've been working on it, working with us, what your parting thoughts at this point in our journey? I have two, Llewellyn, and I and one one I really want to just uh, carry forward with a little more detail. Something you were just saying about encouraging urgent care centers to not only be members of UCA but to participate in this advocacy effort. You know, I've talked a couple of times about how we need to back up our lobbying, direct lobbying here in DC with grass tops or grassroots engagement to demonstrate to a member of Congress that there are voters in the district or important business enterprises in the district that really genuinely care about this. And I'll give you one example of where that really matters. If we go into a congressional office and we say, we represent this trade association with X thousand members, or something like there are you know X dozen of these types of facilities in your district, that's powerful, that's relevant, it's maybe persuasive. But if we can then, and we do this, if we can then go back to you and say, we just met with Congresswoman Smith, and we would like two leaders of urgent care centers to email Congresswoman Smith and say, thank you for meeting with the McDermott team and the UCA team and hearing what they had to say, this is an important issue to us. That's hugely reinforcing. And and that's often how we do it. And it is... Um, it, it just makes us more credible and more um, potent here in that advocacy. So the first thing I will say is this is a team sport and we need as many players on the field to torture that metaphor further uh, as we possibly can get. So yeah, I, I endorse that 100%. The other thing I'll say is just kind of getting back to something we've been talking about here, and, and that is take the long view in this strategy. This is, we are making really good progress and I would say rapid progress. And it will also be a multi-year endeavor. You heard me talking about what we might get in this rulemaking cycle that would lead to something in a next rulemaking cycle. And that's if things go really well. We might also ultimately need legislation. And without taking another hour talking about the challenges we have with our 
um, legislature at this moment in time, advancing legislation doesn't happen overnight. And I think we all need to understand that we are pursuing a really audacious goal, but one that we think would have high ROI if if we are able to make even a little bit of success, let alone a lot of success. Um, but it's going to take time. Well, speaking of time, thank you so much for taking time to join me today. As things evolve, I'm sure we will have another conversation with you and or some of your team to keep everybody updated. Hopefully, there will continue to be lots to share. And our advocacy newsletters and updates are great, but really getting to dig into this and hearing that very localized, we'll call it, perspective of somebody who knows how all this works has been really, really helpful. So I know that this is a long road. UCA is committed to getting this done and improving reimbursement for our members. So we, we're we going to get there. It's been great spending time with you. So thanks for everything you're doing on, on behalf of everybody in Urgent Care. And thank you for giving us this opportunity. You've been listening to UCA's Urgent Care Leadership Podcast. Let's keep raising the bar on each other, and I'll see you next time.